Hey, welcome back to Mobile First. I'm your host, Jordan Bryant. Every week, I sit down with industry leaders to unlock how they are creating effective mobile experiences that make an impact for their businesses so that you can understand the perspective and tactics to replicate their success. If you're new to the show, Mobile First is the media child of Emerge Interactive, a digital experience company with two decades of creating highly performing digital products out of Portland, Oregon. We believe that every digital product owner deserves a clear vision, plan of action, and the right capabilities to create effective digital experiences that help to increase sales and performance. This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Hayden Brown, SVP Product and Design at Upwork. One is seeing the the lessons from my parents. I definitely took home that it is worthwhile to spend your life doing something that really makes other people's lives better. As Senior Vice President of Product and Design at Upwork, Hayden leads the product and design teams and oversees the company's product across desktop, web, and mobile. She's an expert in product strategy, innovation, and fast-paced execution, and revels in breaking new ground on challenges at the intersection of product management, product design, and business management. She leads a team of over 30 product managers and designers in developing a product that enables freelancers and clients around the globe to work together in a new model that is radically changing the hiring and job finding paradigm from a chore into a delightful and instantaneous experience. Learn more about her perspective by viewing a recent article she wrote on Medium about how businesses can outsmart the talent war by tapping into the independent workforce online. Hayden, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, absolutely. So before diving into your experience and Upwork, this amazing company, we want to pause just for a moment and get to know your perspective, your why, what drives you, what inspires you. So what are you most passionate about in your profession and why? There are really two things that come to mind. The first is I really care about building great products that change people's lives. Using technology and everything that technology has to offer, as well as harnessing the incredible power and reach of the internet to really mobilize people in new ways and give them new opportunities is to me incredibly exciting. And so that is the reason I've been at Upwork for six years and why I also love being in product management. The second thing that's really important to me is actually around getting more women into tech roles and product management type roles, I think are a great one. Especially here in Silicon Valley, you know, there's a very active conversation about the lack of diversity at a lot of tech companies. And I'm really excited to be part of changing that and changing that landscape so that, you know, women coming up and the daughters that I have will be able to enter hopefully a workforce that's much more representative of kind of the world and the local population than we see today. Really cool. So what inspired this mission of yours? You know, I grew up two different places. So one was I was born in a small town in Massachusetts, but at the age of 11, my family moved to Kathmandu, Nepal. And both of my parents were working in international development roles in Nepal. So this is, you know, a tiny country north of India where, you know, quite famous for Mount Everest and Mm -hmm. the beautiful Himalaya mountains there. And we lived there for nine and a half years. And the work that my parents both did when I was a kid and still do to this day was around empowering people to basically make their lives better. 
My dad did a bunch of work uh, with communities in the mountainous regions of Nepal and kind of helping them become more self-empowered with jobs. And my mom did a lot of work around women's empowerment programs, specifically in helping women become numerate and literate and be able to really change their lives through uh, new skills and financial savings and things like that, that they could do through village banking. So I grew up with two parents who were incredibly dedicated to kind of unusual professions, but that really taught me two things. One is seeing the the lessons from my parents. I definitely took home that it is worthwhile to spend your life doing something that really makes other people's lives better. And dedicating yourself to that pursuit is truly worthwhile and rewarding, even if it's not, you know, financially lucrative or glamorous or, you know, has other attributes, but it is a worthwhile pursuit. The second thing that I learned from that experience was living in Nepal and seeing, you know, the unbelievable poverty and the inability for many people in that country and so many others to access jobs and meaningful education and other opportunities. You know, it was really clear to me that I think Bill Clinton or some, someone like that is quoted as saying, talent is distributed globally, but opportunity is not. And I really saw that firsthand. And I think that just reinforced for me a desire to spend my life helping people all over the world who potentially don't have access to opportunity, but do have a lot of talent, figure out ways to tap into that talent and and improve their lives through it. And that's something that I think, again, Upwork is doing in spades. And it's been incredibly compelling for me to be here and be part of that. That's amazing. And to have role models like that growing up that just focus on empowerment. Like that's something that the theme that I heard in hearing that your parents sound like superheroes. They are, they are, they're, they're absolutely incredible. So how, how does that experience and that upbringing influence how you now approach your position and your work today at Upwork? Well, I think it really helps reframe all the time what we're doing. And, and frankly, Upwork is a very mission-driven company and people join the company not because of our great benefits or you know, compensation. I mean, those things we have and we offer, but really people join because of the mission. And I think it's really amazing when you have a culture and people that are so driven by the mission that they don't get caught up in kind of the politics and pettiness that I think can creep into many workplaces and make decisions more about like territory or my thing versus your thing rather than about the bigger picture about how are we impacting our users? Are we having the impact on the world that we're trying to have? And so certainly I carry with me every day, you know, that as my guiding principle and and kind of something, a lens that I bring to all of our decisions. And it's incredible because so do many other people here. You know, that is really what people are all about. And so it really depoliticizes the environment and makes it really fun because we're all on the same page. We're all on the same team, like trying to solve this bigger thing, never about kind of infighting or some of the things I've seen at other companies in my past where people are so caught up in kind of their little world, they forget the bigger picture. So for those that maybe don't know what Upwork is, I'm a huge proponent of Upwork. I obviously know what it is. But for those that maybe don't know who it, what it is, can you describe who you guys are and what you do? Absolutely. And thank you. I'm glad you're a fan. Um, <laughs> so we run the largest freelancing website in the world. So basically, we're a platform. We bring together 12 million freelancers from all corners of the globe with several million clients who are also from all over the world. And we provide the tools and technology for those clients and freelancers to meet each other, start working together, collaborate around that work, and ultimately for clients to pay freelancers in over 180 countries around the world so that they can basically do any kind of projects together using Upwork as kind of the backbone for that experience. And 
I'm really excited to talk about what we're about to talk about today, being a mobile strategist myself. But you guys have done a lot of work on this mobile front here this year. And so can you maybe give a brief description of, of some of these bigger changes that you've been making with Upwork to be mobile first? Absolutely. And this has been such a, a hot topic. It's, it's a really timely conversation that we're having. So historically, our approach to mobile has been focused on delivering great experiences on all kind of mobile endpoints. So we have had a team focused on delivering mobile web. We've had a team focused on iOS, our iOS app, and a team focused on our Android app. In addition to several other teams, a large part of our workforce focused on what we call desktop web. So kind of standard web experience from a desktop device. And our approach historically has been to focus our mobile web efforts um, in the past couple of years more on building the experiences at the top of the funnel for acquiring clients and freelancers and giving them a great kind of awareness of what Upwork is and register into the product and kind of exposure as to what they can get done on Upwork. Our approach on the app side has been focused more on deeper in the funnel. We believe that a lot of people don't download the app, you know, the first time they hear about us, they kind of want to see it on a web page or a mobile web page. And then over time, as they're using Upwork and getting more familiar with it, that's when often they want to download the app and use um, more of the native functionality. And so we historically focused our product roadmaps uh, in those areas on more of the engagement and retention features that people use once they're working together. Now, that being said, we kind of threw out that playbook completely in February. <laughs> so maybe the, the context on that is we definitely saw some challenges with that approach, which I think, you know, so many other companies with us and before us have seen as, they, as they've gone down a similar path. And I think those challenges really boil down to two things. One is when you have that approach where you actually are building these kind of very customized experience for each endpoint, you can find yourself rebuilding features up to four times because there's a native code base for iOS, native Android with the mobile web and the desktop web, which you know may all be in different code bases as, as was the case for us. So there was a lot of rework involved in any feature and kind of getting it to market took a long time because we've launched on one platform first and then have to kind of rebuild it on the other platforms. The second issue was around the kind of ongoing parity and the cost of kind of maintaining and evolving those features because it's not even like just the first time you build it and launch it, but obviously the teams will be tweaking it, evolving it. And so there's just like this continual gap between what is available to our desktop users and speed and accuracy of the, that kind of getting to the other endpoints that we had. I'm curious, what are some of the larger things that, that prompted this bigger change? Was there like a realization of a newer type a vision or was there a, a need to make the change to better align with the vision given changes taking place in the market? You know, what, what were some of the bigger things that prompted this? Yeah. So there were a couple things. One was we felt like our teams were in a continual game of catch up and that was bad from a resourcing standpoint because we had to kind of resource all these things to be rebuilt multiple times. That's really expensive, but it was also really bad from a people development standpoint. You know, I looked at the individuals who are working on our mobile app teams and a lot of what they were doing is basically kind of rebuilding and redesigning features that other teams had already built. And from a professional development standpoint, you look at that and say, gosh, that's not, that's kind of a thankless task. It may be that it's delivering some business value, but at the end of the day, is that really what they want to be spending their time on, or do they want to be spending their time like actually innovating new experiences that really may be best in class on mobile or other things, but really have more freedom in terms of how they operate versus being somewhat constrained and taking a feature that another team kind of conceived of and then trying to kind of repurpose it to work in a mobile context. So I felt like our, le our level of innovation was both not adequate and the kind of freedom that those teams were given to really innovate was also not adequate. 
So we felt like there was a gap between what we were doing and how we were kind of set up to tackle mobile and what our true aspirations were in terms of both delivering really great mobile experiences and delivering opportunities for our teams to really be out innovating and really pushing the envelope. And we weren't really realizing that. So those were some of the drivers. I can, I can share a little bit more about kind of our global framework for how our teams think about their roles and what we've asked them to do as product and design and engineering leaders. Yes, please. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So we really had some interesting conversations over the past year and talking to people about their roles and responsibilities. And, you know, if you go up to a PM or an engineer, you say, hey, you know, what's your job description? You know, the answer that you'll usually get is I am the product manager for this part of the product or I'm the engineer who builds this and is a steward of this you know, asset of the company. What we really wanted to change the conversation around was the sense that all of the product managers, the designers and the engineers have the same job description, which is a somewhat radical notion. I mean, we have probably three to four hundred people working in product design and engineering. So to say all, you know, 350 of you, you don't have 350 job descriptions, you have one job description is a, a big shift. And what we've talked about was everyone's job description is the same and it's to build the right product with the highest quality on time. And the order of that statement really matters because if you aren't building the right product, if you build it with a high quality and on time, it's still the wrong product and you're not going to be moving the needle for the business or your customers. If you build the right product, but you don't build it with high quality, you won't actually know whether you built the right product because the quality is bad. And if things aren't working out, you won't know whether it's because it was the wrong product or whether the quality was bad. And so you really have to have both the right product and the high, high quality. And then finally, if you do the, build the right product with high quality, but don't deliver it on time, you might be missing you know, market opportunities as well as the need to really deliver things for customers in a time frame that matters. And so you, by the time you get that product to market, maybe it's not relevant. The ecosystem has moved on. And so the, t the job of a PM designer and engineer is to balance those things and make the right trade-offs all the time around what is the right product, what's the level of quality that matters to give us the information we need, and what does is, what is on time mean? You know, how, what is the level of urgency that we need to move with on this versus the other priorities that we have? And so as we had that conversation with our product managers, designers, and engineers, I think it really changed the lens with which everyone thought about their role and their responsibilities. And when, and when you kind of extract that back to the mobile conversation, I think it was very clear to us that, you know what, we're not building the right product with the highest quality on time. Like we could be doing better here. And we think there's another approach we could take to achieve that. Interesting. So you, you kind of use this framework as a lens to look at the company's progression and how you're set up and how you're going to achieve the larger vision. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really cool. So I just want to reiterate this. And, and this was part of our earlier conversation prior to the interview. And so I, I really wanted to make sure we, we got a chance to talk about this. And I love how you called it the upward rallying cry. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. So to reiterate this, so, you know, ev everyone has their their day-to-day -day tasks, their activities that they're working on. And oftentimes they characterize that in their, you know, job description and their role. And you essentially blow that up and make sure that they have that alignment, that, that clear direction on reason why we're doing this and, and creating that shared vision of focusing on building the right product that's high quality and on time. Is there other things that you would add to that? Yeah. You know, the one thing I would add to that is the importance of context, because I think, you know, the jobs of PMs and these other constituents, designers, engineers, the, the job of the PM is really hard and it requires 
a lot of judgment. These things are not black and white, right? How do you know what on time is? Well, how, how meaningful is it that I ship this thing in March versus April? You know, it's, it's a hard thing sometimes to answer that question. But I think one of the critical enablers that we believe all of our team members need to have in order to make those difficult judgment calls is a level of context about the business, the strategy, and the customer that is pretty rich. And it has to be context that goes beyond, again, like their corner of the world. Even if, you know, they're chartered on something that is very discreet or very narrow, we believe they still need to have the broader context about the business strategy, the, the goals, and what our customer needs are globally, so that they can be making those decisions day in and day out that really let them make the right trade-offs because they need that context. They can't just operate in the silo of their saying their project. So the other thing that I think we've really tried to invest in with our teams, and this is interesting because we have 300 developers who are spread all over the corners of the globe because we use our own platform to hire them and work with them. Mm-hmm. So we have a very distributed team. So setting context in, you know, across like many time zones and uh, asynchronously, that's a challenge in and of itself. <laughs> but we do believe that you know, context is critical for everyone to be able to navigate and make these difficult choices every day about how to prioritize, what to invest in, what the roadmap should look like, et cetera. And so if you kind of take the job description that I, that I shared with you and couple that with really great business context that everyone has, I think that is the recipe for people to be really well-informed and able to act very autonomously in the best interest of the company and the customer in order to make difficult decisions day in and day out. I mean, that sounds like a really crazy big task. You know, so how do you facilitate something like that? You know, it's, an, it's, an, it's a learning process. I think we use remote collaboration tools like day in and day out. You know, every single tool imaginable, we're probably using it. We do a lot of also in-person meetups. So we have remote teams come together once or twice a year in person. Often they'll meet in Prague or Lisbon because a lot of our team members are in like Eastern Europe. And, and again, they're very distributed, but we'll have you know, small working teams come together. And that's also a great moment, not just to build the team context kind of amongst themselves, but to share kind of company level strategy, context, et cetera. Those individuals are also dialed into all hands presentations, product all hands, engineering all hands. You know, we, we kind of seize these different moments to try to share out that context as much as we can. But that being said, there's always more we can do. And we're constantly talking about like how else we can try to communicate and give people the visibility that they need so that they can be making all those day-to-day decisions with that broader context kind of as the the backdrop. Well, thank you for letting us look under the hood a little bit because with this big change that is taking place this year and what you guys are doing with that mobile strategy, I thought it was really fascinating to understand some of the organizational shifts that, that had to take place and what sort of frameworks you had in place that would allow you to make these shifts. So I thought that that was just really important discussion to get into with how you saw this evolution taking place and and why you needed to make that change. And so now with this, making this change, uh, what, what were some of the changes that that actually took place when investing in the strategy? So as I mentioned before, you know, we did have this previous approach of building everything more or less four times for each of our endpoints that we serve. As we see and as the world sees, you know, mobile is the platform of the future. And we decided we needed to be much faster to market and much more mobile first in terms of how we design and build features from the ground up. And so that drove us to the change that, that we really fully rolled out in February, where we're basically taking a new approach to our desktop pages and investing over the next few months in making all of them responsive so that they work well on a device of any size, whether it's a tablet, a mobile device, et cetera. 
And some of those pages previously were responsive, but many of them were not. And so in the old world, we didn't have like the full suite of features and functionality available to users on mobile. And in the new world, once we've done this uh, responsive lift, all of our pages really should be functional and accessible for users on mobile web. The second piece of our strategy is around the applications. And we have some incredible engineers here who have led cutting edge mobile efforts at Netflix, at eBay, and at other companies. And what we concluded was we think there is capability today, given where the technology is, that really didn't exist well, even just a few years ago, where we can build more of a hybrid app experience where we have a native shell that serves things like navigation and really delivers kind of the umbrella experience for the user at a high level. But then all of the content and the pages inside of that native app are really served by our responsive web pages. And this isn't just about like wrapping the web pages inside mobile. We're really taking it a step further where we have what we're calling a bridge internal to the app that really takes over and hides some of the web page features and functionality, most notably things like the URL bar at the top of the page, calls to action that are actually on the page, and kind of redeploys and builds those and exposes them to users as a native functionality. So the button, this call to action actually is more of a native capability, even though the content on the page is served up from the web, the responsive web page. And so we're taking this very, it's kind of like really picking apart the experience and figuring out which pieces need to be rendered natively and how do we do that, which pieces can be rendered from our web pages, and then how do we do that in a way that really feels as if the entire thing was built for native. And we're not out the other side of this. It's an active journey, and we literally just you know, have been reviewing prototypes of the new experience over the past few weeks, but I am very optimistic that we will be able to deliver something that really blends the best of native and mobile web or responsive web and, and really delivers an experience that users will love and that is completely feature complete and is no longer um, lagging behind you know, some of the other investments that we've been making in the past on our desktop pages. So what are some of the outcomes to this shift? I think the biggest one is you know, time to market in terms of getting all of our features to users. And then internally, I think there's a huge impact, which is this is really the transformation of our organization to be mobile first kind of completely and comprehensively within product design and engineering. I think some teams have been designing and building mobile first for quite some time. And other teams, they really, you know, mobile has been more of an afterthought. So with this effort, the entire organization is now really mobilized around mobile and they are responsible going forward for how their pages perform on all endpoints. It's not someone else's job, you know, to, to make sure that they, their page works well on a mobile device. It's their job. And so I think we're just seeing the beginning of a, a pretty fundamental shift in terms of how people think about designing and building mobile first as like, you know, core to how they operate. And I think it's also incredibly exciting in terms of their skill sets going forward because Every PM and designer and engineer at this company, you know, in the world of the future, which is, you know, increasingly the present where mobile is the platform where users are, you know, they need to be equipped to deliver experiences to users on mobile. And historically, the way we were structured, that wasn't necessarily the case. So I think this is a great opportunity for our entire team to sharpen their skills, you know, really become current in terms of what they're capable of delivering to users across, you know, all of the endpoints where where customers are today. I think this is a really good point that you brought up, a really important point. You know, oftentimes when people think of mobile first, they're thinking about that as the touch point. I think everyone knows 
that as a touch point. But then when we're making these transformations, you know, how far beyond the touch point do we go? And you're talking down to the organization layer where you also have to change the people, the way that we think, the expertise that we have to be able to support some of the changes happening on the technology and the user experience layer. Totally. And it's not easy, right? It's not no. like you just get there overnight. It takes, you know, a lot of messaging. It also takes a lot of training. Part of it is also changing the workforce, you know, making sure that now every hire we make, we're bringing in somebody who has some level of mobile expertise that they're kind of adding to the team. So, you know, we're kind of attacking it on multiple, multiple vectors. But the, the cool thing is everyone's also really excited about this, right? I mean, these people want to be, you know, they want to be current. They want to be delivering experiences on mobile. Obviously, they're like massive mobile users in their daily lives. So this isn't a total stretch, like, oh, come use this like weird enterprise software tool that you may or may not, you know, ever find relevant to you. Like, this is a very like mainstream shift, but it's still not easy. And it's still, you know, surprising how much you kind of need to rethink even basic things around how you do testing, you know, how teams demo products, how they think about um, engaging users on user research and things related to, you know, more of a mobile oriented experience versus desktop. So, you know, there's just down to the detail. There's just a lot of things that you start to question is this really driving us towards our mobile first aspirations or are we kind of in this legacy mode of the past that isn't serving that goal? This transformation could be massive. I mean, we're talking experiences, features, all technologies, people, the way we think, the way things are organized, like completely fundamentally down to everything. And it could be, it could be very overwhelming for a lot of people. Change is tough, definitely for, you know, company wide when that's taking place. So where do you start? Like how, how do you start that conversation? You start with the why, right? You have to start by explaining to people why we would be making this type of change and what it does for them and for the business. And once you establish, I think, an understanding of people's minds and that mapping between where we are today, where we're trying to get to, and why that's an important change to undertake, then what I've seen is people really embrace it and they make it their own and they start coming to you and saying like, hey, I know we're doing this mobile first transformation. Have you guys thought about how we're going to do blah, 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 you know, and, and that's when you kind of see the light in people's eyes, like they are part of the solution at that point. They're not being like dragged along in the process. Mm-hmm. And I'm incredibly proud of the team here. I mean, we, it's a very resilient and adaptable team. And I think we've done a lot to try to build that resiliency and adaptability and make sure that people to the degree possible, are comfortable with those kinds of changes. And I think this is just the latest example of once you paint that picture and and really get everyone on board with kind of the rallying cry of where we're trying to get to and why it's critical for the company, they get on board really fast. And while the transformation isn't overnight, you know, you start seeing that first step and then that second step. And it's, it's incredibly exciting. So how do you determine what the first step of that plan in the map to move forward is without over-investing into, you know, taking maybe too many steps. Cause I think that there's, yeah. you could take a step, a viable first step, but then you can overstep and not validate properly that it was the right step. So how do you find that, that balance? So I think I decided it was really important that we get everyone invested in the effort because if it was some like skunk works thing or a pet project, or for many, you know, quarters, we had like various pilots happening of different things related to, you know, moving us into the future on mobile. And with all of those things, there was just an an inadequate 
embrace of the broader organization to really being part of the solution on this. And we really needed to harness everyone to be, to be solving this problem. So for us, the first step was making it everyone's responsibility to take their pages and transform them into being responsive. And the pages, we already use Bootstrap as a component library, so responsive functionality is kind of built into the components, but we hadn't always turned it on, or in some cases we had suppressed aspects of that for various reasons. And so step one for us is like make it everyone's problem. And understand, you know, obviously paint the picture so they know where we're going, and then make everyone part of taking that first step together versus deferring that to like some subgroup of people to kind of go figure out. Now, we've had some kind of other things along the way that helped us get to that kind of bigger first step. But I think this is the first time that we'll really see, and we're starting to see already, that, that, that change in the mindsets and the behaviors. I think before that, people knew things were happening and the rest of it, but they didn't necessarily feel like it was their change to make. And I think that first step of getting everyone, like they all have to take one step forward and making their pages responsive. You know, they can't get out. There's no way of like avoiding that this is the new reality and they're kind of part of, of getting into that. And then we've also been really clear there's a lot of unknowns. We might make some decisions that are wrong and we need to revisit and kind of it's like we're learning on this together. And I think, you know, it's somewhat scary for people, but it also is somewhat comforting that, you know, there's room to make mistakes and take risks, which is really important. Love that. I'm just taking some notes here. I think that that there is this process that's starting to evolve and how how you're doing this. So you said start with why. So to reiterate, start with why and determine what that vision is. And then mapping to the vision, understanding what are some steps to get to that vision so that it becomes more tangible. And then you're creating that team buy-in, make it everyone's problem. And then it sounds like that first step for you as far as you know, moving down that path is making those pages responsive. But then with this idea that there is room to make mistakes because we're, we're all trying to figure this out together. Absolutely. It's a very concise summary. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, really, really great. In doing this and now moving down this path, is there anything that's happened that maybe you didn't expect? Yeah, I think when we started this down this path, Han, so my engineering counterpart who runs the engineering team, most incredible colleague and engineer I've ever worked with. He's incredible. But when we were talking about making this change and before we had fully rolled it out, you know, he and I were debating a lot like how long would it take for us to actually stand up this new native side of the experience and how much work is going to have to go into that? And for sure, we don't know the full answer to that question yet, but I can say it's been incredible once we've had a very small team mobilized on solving that part of the problem and really prototyping this new native hybrid approach. The speed with which they've come forth with some amazing prototypes of what we can do and some kind of architectural framing for the entire uh, organization of like how to engage in that and how we need to build these things going forward. It's been, it's blown my mind. So I, I think it's like another case where sometimes it seems really hard and it is really hard, but also once you get amazing people working on it, the things they can do in a matter of like days and weeks versus, you know, months and quarters is really inspiring. And is there any longer term changes that you want to see made now that you had this initial vision and you guys are moving down the path and you've learned, is there anything, you know, larger changes that you're seeing need to be made? I know that we're going to have to rethink some of our core experiences completely in order to really sing on mobile. You know, a lot of our workflows, because we have a lot of complexity in our product around everything from search and recommendations so that people can find freelancers and find jobs to submitting proposals and reviewing proposals that if you're a client, you know, seeing who's applied to your job and and who you want to hire all the way through to things like payments and contracting. I mean, our, our product offering is not some transactional like checkout flow, right? We have a very rich set of experiences, 
but those have really been designed mostly for desktop. And so there are certainly a, a handful of experiences that I already know and we've already been talking about you know, making them responsive doesn't solve the problem. And and we know that, you know, the reason companies have built all of these native assets over the years is there's a very clear use case and expectation from users around the quality of that experience, you know, how effective it is on mobile, how uh, optimized it is for the device, as well as taking advantage of things like the camera or location or other things. So there are certainly experiences where certainly making them responsive is not is not either adequate or may not even work. And we need to really go a step further to truly the mobile first design approach and the mobile first kind of product approach there to reimagine those things from the ground up. And I think that's an incredibly exciting opportunity. You know, it's it's like a, a different type of effort with different skills and capabilities required to make that successful. But that's something that we will be starting to kind of stand up as well over the next couple of months as we're as we're also doing the uh, broader responsive effort. So Hayden, what's the coolest thing you're working on right now that you want everyone to check out? This is a question. It's like, choose your favorite child. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, we've got some new domestic offerings for clients and freelancers in the U.S. right now where we're making it much more immediate for them to connect to talent that's really close to them, which is a little bit different than what we've ordinarily done with the more global platform where you know, it was very location agnostic. But we've heard from a lot of users that they really want to find somebody in their city or in their time zone. And there are ways that we can help them connect more easily. So I think that's a really exciting offer. We're doing a lot of stuff on the enterprise as well. So we have a a number of enterprise customers already who have been using us for years. And right now we're really expanding our offering for the enterprise, including compliance, other things that really enterprise companies care a lot about. So, you know, for those of you listening, if you're at a small business, you know, come use our marketplace product. If you're at a larger company, we have an enterprise offering and there's just a ton of richness there that lets you, you know, tap into talent locally or all over the world that, um, you know, we're just continuing to innovate on that every day. Really cool. So I know you guys have the website, apps, social channels, and I'm going to link to all of these in the show notes, but where do you recommend going to keep tabs on, on some of these advances that you're making? Really? www.upwork.com. We don't publish a lot of uh, like blog posts or things like that related to our internal, you know, releases. So I'd say start using the product and you'll start to see these things coming out to you, you know, immediately. Got it. So you got to jump in. You got to experience it. You got to experience it. Absolutely. Yeah. Upwork.com. There you go. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Also make sure to tune in this Friday for a rapid fire round where Hayden will be sharing some of her most valuable resources. Well, Hayden, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you for listening. For additional resources on how to increase sales and performance with your mobile experiences, head over to www.emergemobilefirst.com and select the Get Free Resources button there at the top and gain instant exclusive access to tools and resources from all of our guests aggregated into one single place just for you. Now I'm looking forward to digging in with my next guest, but until next time, think mobile first. Mobile first.